Thank you, Brother Braylog. I checked on him just shortly before the meeting to see whether he knew how to say kazee. <clears throat> Down in Florida, there was a kissimmee, wasn't it? How don't you say that? Kissimmee. That's, I almost got it wrong myself. I lived down in Florida for a number of years, and there was a Kissimmee. And a lot of people changed that into Kissimmee. <laughs> and I thought that's what Brother Johnson was trying to do with us. <laughs> when he linked our name with romance. Well, I think there's a good deal of romance down there. There are a few people in love with the Lord. And I believe that's the romance that counts. Well, we're on the home stretch, and now we get into the most marvelous offering of all of the five offerings. I'm saying five now because there is one, you see, sandwiched in between chapter one and chapter three, and that's the meal offering. And in that meal offering, we haven't had opportunity to talk about it at all, but you find in that lovely offering the moral glories and excellencies of our Lord Jesus Christ. He had to be what he was in order to accomplish what he did. And what he was is clearly brought before us in that second chapter in the meal offering. Now going back from the beginning, we've had the trespass offering. And in the trespass offering, we have found the damage that resulted in man's sin. And we see how beautifully our Lord Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross in order to pay for that damage to give us infinitely more than that which was lost in that damage. And then we got into the sin offering, and there are certain things that I overlooked in that sin offering, but we didn't have time for everything. And I should have brought out the fact that there were certain individuals who had greater influence in their lives over the lives of others, and for this reason a greater sacrifice was called for on their part, like the priest was supposed to bring a herd out of the flock, and nothing less than that because his influence and the influence on the lives of others was taken into consideration when he sinned. And I know that happens in uh, our day in the body of Christ. There are people of greater influence than others. And I trust that we who are of greater influence will watch our lives so that we will not bring reproach upon the name and upon the glorious plan of redemption of our Lord Jesus Christ in this dispensation of grace. I hate to think of some people who are trafficking today in the ministry who, has, who have brought reproach on the name of the Lord Jesus in the manner of their conduct and in other ways, in the manner of the doctrines that they are now preaching, so contrary to the word, and we have to be very, very careful on that score. If you have any influence at all, and I know we all have some influence on someone, it may be in your direct family, but remember your sin is not unto yourself alone, it always affects someone else. But beside affecting someone else, it affects the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we should give that some consideration. Now, we know that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. I think we brought that out before. And we don't have to go on practicing sin because that's not expected of the believer. But isn't it wonderful that in the sin offering and in the trespass offering, we find God anticipating every known sin and every type of sin that could ever be committed by the believer regardless of how you might classify these sins. And the Lord Jesus Christ has answered for it all. He has made propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 
I thank God for the fullness and the completeness with which our Lord Jesus Christ has removed sin, because the judgment day holds no terror for me. I know that the day will come when my works from the day that I've been saved until the day I'm raptured up, I'm not looking for the undertaker, but the upper taker, and up until the day that I am raptured up is going to come in review, and we find then that rewards or the lack of rewards will be revealed at that particular time, but not the question of sin and its penal reward. We find that our Lord Jesus Christ has taken care of that when he died, the just for us, the unjust, that he might bring us unto God. And then we got into that lovely peace offering in which we find that God shares with us fellowship with his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We had a lovely message last night on that fellowship, and I trust that as we leave this morning, we will seek that fellowship above all other fellowships. And may I suggest that if you are now in fellowship with anything that would detract from the loveliness of the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, or detract from your spiritual growth and development in the things of God, hand in your resignation this week. I think it's the best thing you can do. You don't need a fellowship outside of the fellowship of believers. Now you think and consider very seriously what kind of fellowship you might be contemplating in the very near future and ask yourself the question, is it going to uh, uh, bring about greater growth and grace in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ? Is it going to promote more devotion to the Lord Jesus or will it in some way detract? I know a lot of times we try to kid ourselves into believing, oh, it'll give me a greater opportunity to witness. You've got all the opportunity you need and you'll, you'll ever need without trying to open doors on your own. And if you just stay with the opportunities God gives you from a natural point of view, you'll be kept busy. And uh, I trust that uh, you will not use that for a lame excuse for some association with unbelievers which is going to make you a part of their programs and you are going to be duly responsible with the rest of them. And so I would say steer clear of any fellowship that does not foster uh, devotion to the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's what we have, I believe, in the peace offering. And now we come to the burnt offering. And this burnt offering is the greatest of all offerings. And I believe that it meets the delight of the Father's heart in a way that no other offering does. They are all necessary. There isn't anything in the Bible that's unnecessary. And whatever God has determined to be the exercises of his people in this world, whether in the Old Testament or whether in the New Testament, it's all absolutely needed. And uh, when we get to the burnt offering, it's nice to be taken up only with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing in the burnt offering for you and for me outside of contemplating the person of Christ, outside of doing what is suggested here, because here we find the opportunity, even while we are sitting, sitting and listening to the ministry of the Word of God, to offer up that which, shall we say, uh, is likened to the burnt offering or typified to it, just a little bit of worship ascending to the heart of God out of our own hearts that have been stirred by the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. And don't think that uh, worship is confined to a certain hour on a Sunday. You know, on the billboards we have worship meeting, 10.30 to 12, or 6.30 in the evening. Well, I'm so glad that that kind of uh, thing is not acknowledged in the Word or in heaven. I'm so glad that there are 24 hours of the day that we can be, in, uh, be occupied with a person of Christ and offering to him that the praise that is due unto his name. I trust that he means a good deal more to you this week than he's ever meant to you in the past. And I hope that it's going to be reflected in our daily conduct.
and the way we uh, carry on before the world. Now, our message is in Leviticus chapter 1 this morning, and I'm only going to read nine verses. And if you see some outstanding word or phrase that uh, uh, stands out sort of this morning in a special way, perhaps because it'll be touched upon, just underline it in your Bible. Just get acquainted with your Bible this way. And, and there's not, I don't believe, in the inspired word of God in the original manuscripts that there's one word too much that's been given to us. I believe every word has been weighed out in the balances of God's holiness and in the balances of God's presence. And we haven't been given too much. There's nothing ever superfluous about the word of God or anything pertaining to the, pers- uh, to the word. It says in verse 1 of Leviticus chapter 1, And the Lord called unto Moses, and spake unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, If any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, ye shall bring bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd and of the flock. If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. And he shall kill the bullock before the Lord, and the priests, Aaron's sons, shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood round about upon the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation." And he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into his pieces. And the sons of Aaron the priest shall put fire upon the altar and lay the wood in order upon the fire. And the priest Aaron's son shall lay the parts, the head and the fat, in order upon the wood that is on the fire which is upon the altar. But his inwards and his legs shall he wash in water. And the priest shall burn all on the altar to be a burnt sacrifice an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. We mentioned before that the two offerings, this one and the peace offering, were sweet savor offerings. They were offerings in which God could find supreme delight. But the other two offerings, the sin offering and the trespass offering, were offerings which were called non-sweet savor offerings, simply because judgment and sin uh, happened to be the subject being dealt with. The Bible says that judgment is God's strange work. I believe that there isn't anything he likes to do when it comes to judgment, but he's forced to. His holiness demands that sin be properly judged according to his holiness and according to that standard. And therefore, we find that the cross is God's full answer to it. Here in this uh, wonderful book, we find that God is speaking to Moses out of the tabernacle, And he is giving some direction as far as the burnt offering is concerned. He shows the voluntariness of it in verse 2 as well as the use of the word in verse 3. It says, If any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, ye shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd and of the flock. Now this particular burnt offering is called the burnt offering because The offering, it's the offering that goes up. It ascends unto God. It's all for God. And it is all offering. Not a bit of it is discarded. It is all offering. It is called a whole burnt offering in some places because all of it is consumed for God's good pleasure. 
We find that it's called a continual burnt offering in the book of Exodus chapter 29 because two lambs were to be uh, burnt upon the burnt altar of burnt offering continually. And there we find another picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. Back in the Old Testament, of course, the fire could never go out, and God did not want the fire to go out when it came to the altar of burnt offering. We thank God, however, that the fire was extinguished at the cross, and there is no need for any continuance of an offering as far as sin is concerned. It's all been taken care of, and the Lord Jesus Christ died once for all, according to the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews. We thank God that the fire eventually was extinguished. Now, there's a verse of Scripture in the Old Testament, in the book of Lamentations, where it says, From above hath he sent fire into my bones, and it prevaileth against me. Now, I think that is a burnt offering statement. There we find that the Lord Jesus Christ was completely consumed, not in a visible manner on the cross of Calvary, but by the invisible fire of divine judgment that when Christ was hanging upon the cross, God was in the process of consuming that sacrifice to its utmost in order that it might be completely to his honor and glory that the accomplishments of redemption might be accomplished for time and for eternity. Fire from above hath uh, entered into my bones, and it prevaileth against me. It's God's fire that uh, began the fire on the altar burnt offering. You know, there were a couple of priests who thought that they had to manufacture their own fire. And we find a lot of times that in the so-called worship of people today in Christendom, there's an awful lot of manufactured fire, and that is to create uh, the idea of worship and to help uh, the natural man to worship on a natural uh, uh, platform, but we find that the only energy that God uses is the fire of the cross, if we may look at it that way. It is what the Lord Jesus Christ became for us on Calvary that ought to stir our hearts in loving adoration to the Lord Jesus Christ, so that he is constantly in our hearts and presented to the Father, and in the sense and in the manner in which we present him to the Father, so will the acceptance of that uh, uh, that, manif that manifestation be. Now here it tells us in verse 3, If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. Now you don't find a female here. There is no suggestion whatever as to any weakness in the person of our Lord Jesus. It is a male throughout. We find, of course, that there are different uh, sacrifices because the poverty of the individual is again brought before us. Not all were capable of bringing a male out of the herd. That would be a very expensive sacrifice on the part of some. And God wanted to reach down to the poverty of others. And so we find that God taking that into consideration. He tells us as you go on through this chapter that the ox is number one, the sheep is number two, and the goat number three, and then there are birds. So God comes right down to the poorest of the poor among the people of God, not among the unsaved, because this has to do again, shall I say, with the people of God. This is not a message of redemption. This is a message of atonement. The people of God were not all equally wealthy. I believe they could have been. I think that every family among the people of Israel could have been, could have been intensely wealthy and well as far as their physical being was concerned. But it all depended upon their obedience to the commandments that were given and to them living in separation from the surrounding nations. 
Your spiritual wealth and mine can increase and abound. We don't have to be among the poverty-stricken, spiritually speaking, because it calls for separation from the world. It calls from walking in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ in accordance with his word, and then you and I will enjoy the riches that are ours in Christ Jesus. I am not talking about material wealth. Some of us have some material wealth, and we hold it as stewards, and we look to God to lead us and guide us and direct us as to the handling of that wealth. But that's not the wealth that is promised in redemption. If you've got it, thank the Lord for it and use it wisely. If you haven't got it, don't worry about it. You'll be more concerned about the uh, poverty of soul or the wealth of soul, and then you'll be on the right side. Be very much concerned about how much spiritual wealth you are enjoying. And may I say that the more you absorb of the personal work of our Lord Jesus Christ, the more wealth you have and the more you are laying aside, as it were, for the enjoyment throughout all eternity. The ox stands for the strong one. And you know we read in the Bible that our Lord is mighty to save. And we see that in every aspect of salvation, God is, more, God is more than enough in the person of his Son to meet every last need. So when a man who is wealthy enough to bring an ox and brought that ox, he was witnessing to the fact that the strong one is represented by the person of our Lord Jesus, or Christ, the strong one, mighty to save, is represented in the ox. Then we get down to the sheep, and we remember what it tells us in the book of Isaiah, uh, how the sheep before her shears is dumb. It suggests the silent one. We find that he never had a word to speak back, uh, never had an apology to make. He hadn't, never had to retract a word. He never uh, fought against the yoke that was upon him and the path that was before him of going to the cross. We find in him the silent one because he is the essence of self-surrender. And that was lovely to see in our Lord Jesus. Then we find the goat. And you know the goat, the goat typifies sinners in a sense in the scripture. Remember the goats on the left hand? And we find the sheep on the right hand. But here we find it suggests substitution for sinners. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the sinner's substitute. And we find that he's not only the sinner's substitute, he's also the substitute for the sinning saint, and he is the one that uh, also died in their behalf. Then in the birds, well, we get down to the poorest of them all, and we find that the birds would suggest that, after all, he is the one from heaven. And that's as far as the mind was able to go, but the fact that the person voluntarily brought a pair of turtle doves it just delighted the father's heart to no end. He knew that the individual was not capable of bringing a goat or a sheep or an ox, and he accepted it all. Now, some people are so worried about their thanksgivings unto the Lord and their praise and their worship and their adoration. Oh, they say, if I could only express myself like brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. Don't worry about that at all. Those expressions of yours, no matter how feebly they are uttered, no matter how little you know about the Lord Jesus Christ, if the subject of your worship and adoration is the Lord Jesus and you are presenting it to the Father, the Father accepts it even though it comes from a stammering tongue. I want you to take heart because after all, it's not in your eloquence. It's not in mine. I don't have it. And if I were going to wait until I got a measure of eloquence to open my mouth and speak for the Lord, well, I just wouldn't speak for him at all. And so we find that that's true of all of us. So open your mouth, 
and speak for the Lord and don't be afraid to give God thanks for the Lord Jesus Christ. He loves it in a stammering way if that's the only way you have to present it. We find that not all of these burnt offerings were free will offerings. Sometimes they were prescribed as generally following a sin offering, but in most cases it was a voluntary offering. And may I say that the voluntariness of this offering, whether on the part of the offerer or the person typified in the offering, because the person typified is the Lord Jesus Christ. When the offerer voluntarily offered a burnt offering unto the Lord, it delighted the Father's heart simply because it was not forced upon him. He wasn't asked to do it. He did it out of the abundance of his heart that overflowed with, a, with a, a deep regard and a respect for what God had accomplished in him and through him and what he was able to do. So when he took everything into consideration and his heart filled up uh, with thanksgiving, well, he could bring one of these offerings in either one of these grades according to his poverty or according to his own personal apprehension of our Lord Jesus Christ. But may I say, in any case, a burnt offering does cost us something because we have to separate our minds, you know, unto meditation upon the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to give ourselves to the reading of his word. Because, after all, it's through the Word of God that we have Christ presented to the heart. And unless Christ is presented to the heart, there's not going to be the overflow. Because I believe that worship is the overflow of the heart that's occupied with the Lord Jesus Christ. Not with religious matters, but with the Lord Jesus Christ. And not necessarily with our blessings. I'll give you a verse of Scripture if you'd like to look it up. Some, oh, perhaps we could take time to look at it. 2 Samuel chapter 24, 2 Samuel chapter 24, to show you that a burnt offering really costs. And it's going to cost every one of us if we want to be thus occupied. God, uh, Satan doesn't mind us to be occupied in religious things. Now you'd be surprised he'll give us all a religious job if he can only keep us from being occupied with Christ. Because the two are not synonymous. And we ought to weigh everything in the balance to see whether we are taking a substitute from the enemy and being occupied with substitutes from the enemy, or if we are really being occupied with that which God the Father would have us occupied. Second Samuel chapter 24 and verse 24. There we see, it says in verse 22, And Aaronah said unto David, Let my lord the king take and offer up what seemeth good unto him. Well, that Aaronah, he was really a big-hearted individual, wasn't he? But David wanted to offer a burnt offering to the Lord. And is he, is he going to take a gift, something for nothing from Aaronah? No, I think it uh, might have been Aaronah's great pleasure to make the offer. And it might have delighted Aaronah's heart for David to say, Yes, I'll take that offering. That's very nice of you. We're all looking for a little handout, and uh, it'll help me on some other time. All right, but he says here, Behold, here be oxen for burnt sacrifice, and threshing instruments, and other instruments of the oxen for wood. All these things did Aaron as a king give unto the king, and Aaron said unto the king, The Lord thy God accept thee. You see, acceptance is in the burnt offering. And it's nice that Aaron knew it, but David didn't want to be accepted in something that didn't cost him anything. And so he said in verse 24, And the king said unto Aaronah, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God 
of that which doth cost me nothing. And I think we all ought to give a little consideration to that. We don't come lightly by the material that we have to offer unto God in the person of Christ. It takes a little mental work. It takes separation from the things of the world unto the word of God. We can't skip meetings and be absent and tardy and so on uh, constantly from uh, whatever services are available to us where we can get the truth rightly divided. We should back up to the hilt every last one of them in order to be exposed as much as we possibly can at any cost to the word of God that's going to cause our hearts to be uh, involved with the person of our Lord Jesus. That's the price sometimes that's got to be paid. And then you can look at the price in other ways, I'm quite sure. I want to talk a little bit about the voluntariness now that is suggested in the, offer, uh, in the offering, the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know some of the scriptures I'm going to turn to, but it's not going to hurt us to read them. John chapter 10, please. In John's Gospel, chapter 10, at verse 17. John's Gospel, chapter 10, at verses 17 and 18. This is not in Paul's epistles, but they are two lovely verses, and they are part of all Scripture given by inspiration of God. Therefore doth my Father love me, the Lord Jesus says. I think he loved to talk about the love of his Father for him. I really do think he treasured that love. You and I ought to treasure it too, and there is a way in which we can. He that hath my commandments, and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And if we want to be loved of God, well, continue to obey his word. I'm not talking about the Ten Commandments. I'm talking about the word of God in general. There are a lot of things that are given to us to obey in the epistles of Paul. And God expects to obey them. He that hath my word and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and I will love him. Isn't that nice? And I will love him. I hope we cherish above all things the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the Father will love us, he says in that scripture in John chapter 14. But now he says here, therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Now there is another verse in the scriptures, Acts chapter 8 and verse 33, that sounds as though uh, it's contrary to what we read here. Acts chapter 8 and verse 33, and it's a quotation taken from Isaiah chapter 53, although it's not written word for word in the exact way. I want you to notice that in John chapter 10, I know you lost the place by this time, but anyway, it says, No man taketh it from me. Now you stop and think of that for a moment. No man taketh it from me. And no man took the life of the Lord Jesus from him. I believe that. But when you get to Acts chapter 8 and verse 32, it says, The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. But I know that it was not taken by man because he said, No man taketh my life from me. I know that in his hour of his death on the cross, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. 
And I believe that the Father took the Spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ at the word of our Lord Jesus there on the cross. Here, I think, in Acts chapter 8, referring to Isaiah chapter 53, you have a sin offering. But you have the burnt offering in John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. No man taketh my life from me. He voluntarily gave up his life in death on the cross. Nobody forced his hand that way. Our Lord Jesus Christ did it in loving obedience to the plan and purpose of God. Which plan and purpose, of course, I believe that God had took consideration of in a past eternity. But time had come now for the Lord Jesus Christ to act in loving obedience to his Father's will. And that was to lay down his life. For who was there beside the Lord Jesus to pay the price of sin? There was none. There wasn't an angel in heaven that could ever take our place. But we find the Lord Jesus Christ coming in the body of sinful flesh, and for sin he died in the flesh. He took upon himself a body because as spirit, for God is spirit, he could not die. He could not experience that at all. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is eternal. He's never had a beginning. But as a man, he had a beginning 2,000 years ago. But his advent was in order that he might equip himself with the necessary elements in order to die the just for us, the unjust, that he might bring us unto God. Now, in that translation that we have in Leviticus chapter 3, I would like to give this out. It says, verse 3, If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will. Now, in the new translation, in Darby's translation, is he shall present it for his acceptance of his own voluntary will. But it is also true that it is presented for his acceptance, for the acceptance of the offerer. You and I have been made to be accepted in the person of our Lord Jesus. I had really hoped that at this particular meeting, and I didn't uh, figure things out right, and I didn't take the music and so on, I didn't want to suggest that Mark have another chance to, to show himself here in the pulpit. I love his singing with my preaching. But there is a song that we used to uh, sing with the PBs, and it comes out of the choice hymns of the faith. And I don't know if you all know this or have heard it. It is, In the Beloved, Accepted in My Risen, ascended, and seated on high. God sees my Savior, and then he sees me. In the beloved, accepted and free. In the beloved I went to the tree, there in his person by faith I may see. Infinite wrath rolling over his head. Infinite grace, for he died in my stead. In the beloved, God's marvelous grace calls me to dwell in this wonderful place. God sees my Savior, and then he sees me. In the Beloved, accepted and free. You and I are accepted in the Beloved. And that's why I believe that Darby's translation there could be very, very acceptable. And I don't know anything about the Hebrew. I might know a Jew here and there, but I don't know the Hebrew. And it says, he shall present it for his acceptance. I have no other ground of acceptance before God. I do not question my acceptance. I cannot lose that acceptance. I will never be separated from that acceptance. Because if my acceptance is based on the acceptance of the Lord Jesus, 
Can you anticipate a time in the future or any time in eternity when time shall be no more actually, when the Lord Jesus will cease to find acceptance before his Father? I can't. And how can I? Doesn't the Bible say we are in Christ? And if we are in Christ, we are part of him. And we are part of him too in the sense in which he is the head and we are members of his body. We are accepted in Christ. If you're here this morning and you're not saved, you're not in Christ. You have no acceptance before God. And therefore, when you die, you will be absent from the body. You will be in a lost eternity. Looking forward to the time when you will be raised to stand before God at the great white throne judgment. To have your sins weighed in the balances of God's holiness and then to be cast out into outer darkness for all eternity. No acceptance. But you can have this acceptance this morning just by simple faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith plus nothing gives you this acceptance. And I trust that at the closing day of this conference that you will act wisely if you are not certain about your being accepted in the Beloved. The offerer found his acceptance in it. And therefore in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 6, it says, To the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us accepted or highly favored in the Beloved. Then in verse 4, I want you to notice, it says, And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering. Now, first of all, I think placing his hand upon the head of the burnt offering might suggest a confession of personal need. If I am going to be accepted in my offering, if I am going to be accepted, as it were, in the language of the New Testament, in the Beloved, I must see that death must be accomplished. The wages of sin is death, and here I am, I stand as a sinner before God, born in sin and shapen in iniquity, and there's only one thing that will give me acceptance, and that is the necessary death. Well, the good news is that Christ died, that death has been accomplished, but this man, so many years before the cross of Calvary, laid his hand upon the head of that offering. And he confessed, I deserve to die. But this animal is taking my place. It suggests substitution, doesn't it? This animal is taking my place. And if you are willing this morning to lay your hand upon the head of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is, claim identification with him as the one who died and needed death for you, you will be accepted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And all your sins, which are many, will be taken away. You are going to enjoy a nearness to God the Father that nothing else can give you. We find that this is true according to the word of God. But it also means complete identification with the offering. The believer in the Lord Jesus, his complete identification with the offering. Now who can go wrong here? If you get, want to come into the presence of God, you just picture this. If you want to come into the presence of God... Can you be rejected? I mean as a believer. If your, head, if your hand is on the head of the offering. You see what I mean? Every one of us will always find acceptance day after day in the presence of God. If we come with our hands as it were on the head of the offering. Associating ourselves with the Lord Jesus. And I believe that calls for daily association with Christ. Too many times, as far as our business is concerned and as far as our social life is concerned, there's a separation, and that separation should not exist. 
I think that our business should be conducted, our social life should be conducted, and everything about us should be conducted with our hand, as it were, identified with the person of Christ, so that everything might be regulated according to the cross. You know, back in the Old Testament, the Old Testament people of Israel were told that they were to leave the, the land of Egypt and go a three days' journey out into the wilderness. Now, the wilderness didn't hold very much uh, joy and couldn't be very much contemplation there of great happiness and, and meeting their needs out in the wilderness, and yet it was a three-day journey. And I believe that three-day journey means this, that ever since we have been saved by the grace of God, everything should be measured by the full measure of Calvary. He died, he was buried, he was raised from the dead, and therefore we ought to walk in newness of life. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 11 is a good verse, I believe, that might show us identification with our Lord Jesus Christ. It is a lovely verse. Some of you know it by memory. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 11. For he that sanctifieth, for both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. What a union between us and the Lord Jesus. That's why the union ought to be maintained in our daily contacts in this world. Whatever we do, we ought to show our identification with the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore I believe that that is suggested in he shall put his hand upon the, the head of the offering. Now you can enlarge that as you wish. You can look into the word of God and see identification in many, many places. We find it in Romans chapter 6, don't we? By the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we are identified with the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is it for naught? No. I think it's for every practical purpose that you can think of. For the balance of the chapter will show you clearly that we are to yield our members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Everything about us ought to be yielded in virtue of the cross of Calvary. And I appeal especially to the young people, I want you to measure everything you do and everything you contemplate by the full measure of Calvary. Nothing short will do. If Pharaoh said, I'll let you people go one day out into the wilderness, Moses would have said, no, God said three days. You find all kinds of compromises over there in the book of Exodus. If he said, I'll let you go two days, Moses would say, no, God said three. And it's not going to be any less. How about two and a half days, Moses? Moses would say, no, it's going to be three. And the world comes to us and wants to reduce the full measure of Calvary and bring us down to two and a half or two or one and a half or whatever our, our weak spirituality is going to allow us in the way of compromise. And that's not the way to do it. Now in verse 5 of our chapter, it says, And he shall kill the bullock. Now this bullock wasn't butchered, it was properly killed. It was not mutilated. God is inviting this particular offer to inspect the offering and to come to God's mind concerning the perfections of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's what we see in it. This man very carefully killed the particular offering. And then it was flayed and we find that it was cut cut up, and we might say that the deeper the flaying and the cutting, the more pure devotion to the will of the Father is seen in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. It takes a good deal of flaying and cutting to get down 
to the very inner springs of the actions of our Lord Jesus that led him to the cross and finally back again to the throne of God. Now we can see this marvelous devotion of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Word. This man was not supposed to kill it as though he were butchering an animal to eat. He had to kill it in a proper way because it represented something very near and dear to the heart of God. And so he had to kill that animal. We find here the beautiful picture of the subjection of our Lord Jesus Christ to God. And he shall kill the bullock before the Lord and the priest Aaron's sons shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood round about upon the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into its pieces. That is in order to disclose the hidden unseen parts. When you look at the animal placed upon the altar of burnt offering, you see a huge animal. That's not the idea at all. That animal was not placed in its entirety as a full carcass upon that particular altar. God could have had it that way. But he said, no, this has to do with my son. I want you to enter into my thoughts about my son, that which is near and dear to my heart. I want him to be near and dear to your heart. I want there to be fellowship and communion. While all goes up to God, I want you to enter into my thoughts concerning my son. That's what it's all about. I don't know a, a better regulator for the conduct of believers than to learn about the Lord Jesus Christ and get God's thoughts concerning him. Because how can we be indwelt by his spirit and how can we have the person of our Lord Jesus Christ among us and in us and still not regard his presence in our daily activities? Now when we look at the Lord Jesus and see what the word of God has to say about this particular burnt offering and cut into its pieces, we find that it reveals nothing but devotion unto the Lord. Now I say nothing but devotion. And I'm so glad to say that. Complete devotion to the Father's will. First of all, when upon coming into the world, you know what the scripture says in, in the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews? We may want to look at it, please. Let's look at it. Hebrews chapter 10. We find what was said by him to show his complete subjection to the Father's will. To show that all that moved him all the way to the cross was always subjection to his Father's will. He knew that will. You and I ought to get to know more of that will. Then there wouldn't be any question about whether you're in the will of God or not. The biggest question among us today, how do I know the Father's will? It's given to us in the Word. Read the Pauline epistles and you'll know something about the will of God for you today according to God's present day program. It's right there. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1. For the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. I never said this this week and maybe you thought I should have said it by this time. But all of those offerings had to be repeated constantly because by the blood of goats and calves there is no remission of sin. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshippers once purged should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. 
For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sin. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, let's go right back to the, just prior to his, his uh, incarnation. When he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering, thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book that is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offerings for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then he said, or then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. This is the reason for his advent, to carry out the will of God. And as you go on, you will find that the will of God involved our sanctification. And that only through his death on Calvary's cross. But this man, after he had, uh, I'll have offered one sin for, one sacrifice for sins forever. I've got a good help from my wife. She follows me in all of my messages, and she comes in as a sort of, not an echo. <laughs> it's not an echo. She doesn't say what I say, but she helps me when I lack a word. The Lord Jesus Christ offered himself on the cross once for all. And he's the only one who ever sat down, the only priest that ever sat down in virtue of a finished work. These other priests, they always stood up. The fire of the altar never went out. The work was never accomplished until the Lord Jesus Christ went by one offering. He offered himself on Calvary's cross and became the sacrifice of our sin. Well, that's as far as the moment he came into the world. When the Lord Jesus Christ was 12 years of age, he was lost to his parents for a little while. And then when he is found, he said to his parents, Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business? A 12-year-old boy, isn't that marvelous? Wish ye not that I must be about my father's business? There's always perfection about him. When he was five, he was a perfect five-year-old. When he was seven, he was a perfect seven-year-old. When he was 12, he was a perfect. I never saw that in my children. But here at the age of 12, the Lord Jesus Christ said, Wished you not that I must be about my father's business? Most of the kids think that the father's business is not there ever. But here the Lord Jesus, and I'm not saying this in a cheapened way, I want you to see the Lord Jesus at the age of 12. Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? Later we find in the time of his ministry in chapter 8 and verse 29 of the Gospel of John, he says, for I do always those things that please him. Would you like to be able to say that? Isn't it marvelous to be able to open up that body and see those very inner springs of action in the Lord Jesus and know what it is that motivated him unto the death, even the death of the cross? Why, even prior to coming to the cross, he said, For I do always those things that please him. In anticipation of the betrayal, he said to his father in John chapter 17, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou hast given me to do. Wouldn't it be lovely if we could say the same at the time of the rapture? It'd be a wonderful thing if we could. Our obedience is always to a degree. It's always to a degree. But our Lord Jesus Christ always yielded up absolute and perfect obedience unto his Father. 
Then when he comes into the garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. It wasn't something he just said, oh yes, I'm willing to take that, let me have it. No. Who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And when the cup, the bitter cup of God's wrath against sin was offered to the Lord Jesus Christ. Then he could say in the garden, Father, if it be possible, is there some other way by which redemption might be provided and atonement for those who are redeemed? Is there some other way? Does it have to be accomplished in this particular way? If so, I am very happy to do so. But if there's another way, Father, provided. You see, he knew that he was going to come into contact with all of the holiness, unholiness of your sin and mine. And that did not give him any pleasure because of the holiness of his nature. And as he contemplated contact with the contamination of your nature and the fruit of that nature, he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But he didn't stop there. He says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. He always blended his will in with the Father's will. That's why we have a completed redemption. Now, in verse 8, we have something there I like to look at. And the priest Aaron's son shall lay the parts, the head, and the fat. I haven't said anything about the fat so far. It comes in other sacrifices. And I might say the fat represents the richest part of the offering. You see, when one of these Hebrews back in the Old Testament wanted to bring a voluntary burnt offering unto the Lord and he took it out from the herd, he did not go out to look for the skinny ones. He did not go out to look for those that were ill-fed and poor-looking. It was always the best. And he would walk around until he was satisfied that he had the fattest one because the fat belonged to the Lord. God had decreed that fat and blood were not to be eaten by the people of God. God decreed that the fat belongs unto the Lord. It speaks of the richness of the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. A type of richness that you and I can enter into. And that is what God said belongs to me. The life of the flesh is in the blood and therefore blood was not to be eaten in the Old Testament time. But that fat represents the richness and the wealth of the person, the character of our Lord Jesus Christ. The richness of his devotion to his Father, the richness of his obedience to the Father's will at any cost to him. He said, that belongs to me. Well, it all belonged to him, but he emphasizes the fat in these offerings. The fat never became the portion of the offerer. And the fat, of course, is that which causes the flame to leap higher and higher into the very presence of God. And because of the richness of the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus on the cross, and because the fire came down from heaven to consume that sacrifice, according to the book of Lamentations, God the Father accepted it in your behalf and mine. And that's why we find our acceptance in him. Now the head is also mentioned in verse 9, in verse 8. The priest Aaron's son shall lay the parts, the head, and the fat. Well, you can make out what you wish about that head, but I couldn't help but think of Philippians chapter 2. And shall we turn to that, please? Philippians chapter 2. I like to think of the head as representing the mind of our Lord Jesus Christ. What was his mind in respect to putting away sin for us? You can find other scriptures probably that will answer to the head.
but just for the time that remains, and we don't have very much time, I want you to look at this. And let us carefully read from verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2. It says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. What a mind! To have that mind, to be willing to come and stoop so low, in order that we who were in the low place might be raised to heights of glory with him for all eternity. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him because of this mind. God highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name and so on. He had the mind of self-abnegation. His mind and his thoughts were always in perfect harmony with the Father's will. That's the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are accepted in him. His inwards and his legs. In verse 9 it says, But his inwards and his legs shall he wash in water. Everything was clean according to the word of God. The water is a beautiful type, I believe, of the word. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you, John 15, 3. There is a cleansing power in the Word. That's why you and I are to constantly expose ourselves to the Word in order that we might keep clean for Him. The Word not only re re reveals the spots and the blemishes, but also provides the proper element to remove those spots and blemishes from our character in our daily lives. Washed in water. Cleanness according to the Word of God. Here we find members of His body motivated by the inner affections that go out for God's honor and glory. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. We are members of his body, and I want to close with these few thoughts. These members of the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, suggested in the altar, and suggested in the offering upon the altar, were all offered unto the Lord, all dedicated unto God. God received it all, and he receives us in virtue of him. We are now members of his body. His body is not on this earth. He cannot walk from city to city to declare the unsearchable riches of Christ. If he were down here, he would let us know in, wonderful, in a wonderful way, in words that you and I could never get together, what the glorious gospel of grace is all about. But he's just allowed us to be the preachers of that word. Sometimes I wish I had the ability of angels who are in the presence of God to speak out the gospel, but God says no. They don't even know redemption. They don't know the experience of it. God has not provided redemption for lost angels. He wants to take a sinner saved by grace and with his stammering tongue be glorified in the preaching of the word. And I trust that as members of the body of Christ, we are going to see our place in this, in this world of ours. We are members of his body. As members, we ought to be exposed and subject to the word of God. We ought to be constantly cleansed that our lives might be acceptable to him. 
In Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. My body has members, your body has members, and all of the members of the body of Christ has members, and God wants to use them all. There's a great work to be done, and we don't have much more time to do it. I'm convinced of that. I believe that the coming of the Lord is very nigh. We are living in the last days. There's every indication of the fact that we are living in the last days. So may the Lord see in us, the members of his body, a corporate living sacrifice. Not just me, not just you, but all together. A corporate living sacrifice, according to Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. All of one mind and spirit, acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable or logical service. But that cannot be by being conformed to this world. I can't help but following it up with the next verse. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Now, our minds have been renewed by the preaching of the word this week. That's what it's all about. God uses it to renew our minds. Now he says, don't be conformed to the world. Don't be cast into the mold that the world sets. Because it's not the kind of life that God has for you. The mold for our life is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we trust as members of the body of Christ. We will know our place in the days ahead and the few days that remain. And that we will be, as it were, a burnt offering, something accepted unto God. Because we are associated with the Lord Jesus, accepted in the Beloved, and we want to demonstrate to the world that we are one with him. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts and to that which we have heard so far this week for his name's sake.